So fun. Record. Okay. They we have to great. do anything special. No. <laughs> Just ignore it. Okay. Just keep talking. Great. Uh, so yeah, we we would we, we would love to be here for some of the other stories, um, and our expectation is that um, over this week and next week that you'll hear some similar themes, maybe to some other things that you have heard. Um, maybe you'll hear some ways that God has worked in other people's stories that are similar or parallel to how He's worked in our story. Um, we hope that that's true because we believe that God is doing things behind the scenes that that we don't ever. We don't often understand, we don't realize how that's playing out, we don't realize how he's connecting the dots to things, and so we want you to hear, uh, as we talk about our story, we want you to hear how God is faithful, and how God has um, continued to reveal himself, and continue to show us things uh, that we could have never worked out on our own, even though we've oftentimes come to the table with our own ideas. Um, we've made our mind up about how things should go, but yet God is doing things differently. And so we, uh, we wanted to just start with a couple of questions. Um, maybe you've heard about community support over the last uh, weeks of hearing stories. Maybe you've heard about calling and how God prepared people for the story that he's called them into. Um, and, and we're kind of curious, we wanted to talk just a little bit about calling about how God prepares people. Um, what, what is it that, um, especially when you're caring for others, how do you know what you're supposed to do? Um, or, or maybe whether, uh, whether you should even get involved and be supportive of the story. Maybe, you know, maybe there's those kinds of questions. So has there been some of that that's come up? I'm just curious if anybody, if that prompts anything from things that have happened uh, over the last few weeks. What, how do you know what you're supposed to do? Or, or how do you know whether to get involved? What's been discussed before this week? Anything about, like, pre- preparation. I mean, or is that just a phrase that's hard to get our brains around sometimes? Like, when people say, God prepared me, or I was called to that, it's kind of a loaded phrase, right? <laughs> so what does it bring to mind for you? What is that? There's no, like, wrong answers. <laughs> Jump in. What does that mean? God prepared me. What do you think? What, what does that bring to your mind? Either from sto- other stories you've heard or your own experience? We don't know. Exactly. We go through sometimes uh, difficult times. We don't yeah. know that that's what God is doing. Absolutely. And, you know, we just go through the struggles. It's only after the fact yeah. that we can see how that is helping us to cope yeah. with the present. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of the stories we've heard is about looking back Yeah. to say, hey, I was able to do this because of something that I thought was no big deal. Absolutely. Looking back, I think that's really key. Somebody in this room once asked me, um, have you ever felt called to something? And I think for a lot of us, that's probably not uh, like as much of an awareness at the time as sometimes looking back and seeing how we were placed somewhere, right? Um, But but calling is kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a, a loaded sometimes. Um, about 11 years ago, Ricky and I were at a bit of an impasse. Um, by impasse, I mean like we couldn't even talk about a particular topic. That was whether we were going to have more children or not. We had three kids at the time who were all under three. So you would think he was probably very correct that we shouldn't even be having this conversation. But I was saying, like, what? but what if? What if we just 
what if we just had more? I mean, like, what would that look like? And it, you can imagine how that went. Like, not pretty at all. So that's why we'll just call it an impasse. You know, we don't need to share too much of our marital strife in this class, but we'll just call it an impasse. Um, but we did need to make a decision about what we were going to do and how it was going to happen. So because I'm such a faithful follower of the Lord, I started just praying. If more kids are supposed to be in our family, just let them show up. Like, I didn't tell Ricky. I didn't tell anybody. I was literally praying this prayer. Okay, God, kind of I'll show him. If more kids are supposed to come into our family, let them just show up. And I had some way, ideas for God about how this could happen. Either I would just get unexpectedly pregnant. Um, that could still happen. Or Ricky was working with teenage parents. I thought maybe one of those teenagers was going to offer us their baby. Like, I gave that, that suggestion to God. Like, that would be a really, that would be a good way you could work this miracle. Um, and so in all of these situations that I gave God, the count was one. One more child. Um, because I had it figured out. We needed one more child. Um, and that's not the way it went. Um, in my limited scope, I really, I thought that I knew what was going to happen. Um, but in March 2011, we sent this email to our friends and family. What a difference a day can make. While the events of the last 24 hours were not even on our radar screen, we knew all along that the Lord has been paving a path for these events. Ricky and I felt very strongly over the last couple of months that the Lord was preparing us. While that was just as ambiguous to us as it sounds and left more questions than answers, the result was we've been in a season of growing closer to each other and closer to the Lord. We've confided this in a few close friends, and as a result, no, I can still hardly read this, y'all, it's been 11 years, that others have been praying for us even before we really knew what we were praying for. Yesterday, the what we were praying for fell in our laps in the form of three adorable siblings, the children of Ricky's stepsister. Their ages are three, two, and ten months. So I already told you our kids were ages by this time four and a half, three, and 18 months. Um, and we found out yesterday that the parents of these three were in a lot of trouble. Ricky began working with his mom and stepdad to meet with them and get their permission to have the children spend some time away while they began the process of getting some things figured out. Thankfully, they agreed. Their condition, though, was that they would only allow the children to leave if they were coming to our house. And that's how it began. On March 14th, which was a Monday, like most others at our house, Monday mornings, I called, like, makeover my Monday. I had some kind of clever name for it because it was insane with my three little ones at our house. So we always had some sort of activity. This particular Monday on March 14th was Pi Day, P-I, um, 314. I'll give you all a minute. Um, <laughs> and I was home with my three little ones, and Ricky called to tell me really out of the blue that he was on his way to his stepsister's house um, to see if he could help. Um, and by that evening, we had doubled the kid count sleeping in our home. Um, yeah, isn't that, it still feels big, right? Um, so we spent about five months learning to take care of six kids under the age of five. Um, and it was pretty comical. Um, dinner time, we had to literally fill the plates where the kids couldn't see, strap them into their seats, and bring all the plates at once to the table so that everybody could eat, everybody knew they had the same thing, and they would be sitting down. Um, bath time was not a one-person job, and you really should, probably should wear rain gear to like get all the kids in and out of the bath just enough to like not smell bad. Um, one of Merritt's favorite picture stories is 
we had this orange rope that we would tie behind our double stroller and all the other kids would hold on to their number on the rope so we could just like walk to the park. Um, because we weren't going any, or sometimes the grocery store by the end, that's true. Um, we would be in restaurants, we would, like the few times we ventured out, I remember walking into a restaurant and other people eating would like literally let food fall off <laughs> their fork or out of their mouths because they just could not believe that we were insane enough to bring in this many children, small children at once. Um, and so a lot about those early days are really kind of funny now looking back on pictures, but there's a lot about it that was super hard. Our kids didn't sleep. They were, they were sick. They were coming out of a home that um, just wasn't healthy. And um, we were not only helping them get care and trying to get them to go to bed and get the things they needed, but also sort of playing social worker to their parents and trying to help them get the help that they needed. Um, it wasn't like five months that they first lived at our house was, um, yeah, the hardest time really of our entire lives. Um, but that really ended up just being the beginning. They were with us for five months. They went back to their birth parents for about five months. Then we spent about two and a half years playing liaison between their birth parents and a foster home, bringing the kids back and forth on weekends, um, doing holidays together until 2014, where they moved back into our house. And I mean, it's as like roller coaster as it sounds. Um, kids came back to our house, then when we thought it would just be for a little while, ended up being for about two years until we finally said, um, we've been working really hard toward reunification with their birth parents. We really have believed all along that this was a miracle God could do. Um, we, we begged him for that miracle of reunifying the kids to their birth parents. And at some point had to say, the miracle here is redemption. And um, for our birth, for our kids, for all of our kids, um, they needed stability more than they needed to wait for reunification. So in 2016, we started pursuing adoption of our kids. And um, we had a great case in court for why we should take these children out of their home. But we also had a really amazing lawyer who said, let's let the parents make that decision. Let's let their birth parents make that decision. So we just asked them, and it went like against all odds. You know, anyone you ask said they will never, because of their current mental and emotional state, they'll never be able to make this decision for themselves out of court. And it took about 10 months. Um, well, but that, that, was, that was one of the hard, hardest pieces, yeah. um, was approaching these parents who all along we had told them, um, our heart, our desire is for you to be a family unit. The way that God intended, the way that you can be parents to your kids, mm. um, even some of their difficulties we had talked about, that being responsible for their own children was part of them being able to get out of some of the difficulties they were in, right? So that back to the question we asked at the beginning, um, should we even intervene? How do we yeah. step into this? What does that look like? And so sitting across from my stepsister and, and saying the words to her, we think you should give up your parental rights was one of the, I mean, my, my stomach was sick. Maybe harder um, even in those five months of, <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah, so yeah. at each stage, different hard, but up to that point was, was yeah. one of the hardest things. And then um, those 10 months went by before the dad um, was the one who initiated. And for so him to look at me and say, yeah. now you get what you want, you get my kids. And I'm going, that is not what I wanted. Yeah. It is not, you know, again, just that sick feeling of, what, you know, 
how do we get involved? How, like, how do we step into the mess, and how do we um, help things turn around? Yeah. So what is and that even to like? that point, like of the, the dad getting to that, the birth dad getting to that point. Um, I want to read what happened. Um, this is from September 2016, um, and it's describing a day that um, we'll really never forget because it was so insanely difficult. This is the last time, about the last time we saw the kid's father before he actually um, relinquished his parental rights. For years, the dominoes had been set, one at a time, in swirling circles and patterns around us. We couldn't see the hand that spaced them, even distances apart, then left them poised and waiting, until at the end of September, there was a tip. Only, it wasn't a gentle fingertip that sent that first and critical domino cascading forward. It was a wrecking ball, a heavy blow to our family, Again, like so long after. Um, sending splinters of hurt in all directions. Amid the emotional chaos, one of the flying pieces of debris, quietly and completely unseen, was the exact catalyst needed to spark a change. It spiraled out from the mess to provide the tipping of a most unexpected series of events, each one prompted by the previous. It's a bit incomprehensible that at the very moment we felt most forgotten, most isolated, right in the middle of wreckage, reeking chaos, right there, that moment of impossible. That was the exact moment the unveiling of a new path tenderly, carefully, and beautifully began. It's very hard to grasp that beauty from chaos doesn't just mean that God takes what's left over from the wreckage and turns it into something. It means he stands, firmly planted, right in the middle of the chaos, even using, something, using the destruction itself to prompt the beauty rising. I have a picture in my heart, so unreasonable, I can't shake it. Maybe God himself even swung the wrecking ball that day. Maybe he even swung the wrecking ball that day. Maybe with tears, he pulled it back with one hand while extending the other in a careful cup around us so we wouldn't get tonally blown away. He didn't block us from the blow, but he stood ready to let us grasp hold when we went reeling. My goodness, I did not expect this. He was carefully intentional, knowing that the pain of the moment was exactly what would set it all in motion. And it was. That was the day, the day that was very difficult when we saw the kid's birth dad, was the day that he also, we found out later, decided that the kids needed to be home with us. Miracles are amplified and his glory most fully recognized when there's no other way out, when by all other accounts, it's impossible. Psalm 77, 19 says, Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. Um, and from this we learned, like, maybe things like the parting of the Red Sea really weren't that glamorous to people who had to actually walk through it. Maybe as the Israelites stepped up, this wasn't a story about, wow, there's this incredible path, but do you mean I have to walk through these walls of water that seem like they could give way at any moment? Um, and yet that's the very moment they had to go that way because it was the moment of impossible when they said they couldn't do it anymore. Um, that they had to choose the difficult path because it was the only path. Um, after that day of crisis, really, um, the Lord began pursuing us. Um, so this is really only from September to October, so it wasn't a very long time, but um, we really wanted to run, and God used his people to remind us um, to take just a first step on that revealed path. Um, and then only four months later, after that domino tipping day, we became 
forever a family of nine. Somewhere along this story, we also had a fourth biological kid, just, you know, to make things more fun and interesting. Um, so we felt, to be pretty honest, we felt pretty prepared to take in three bonus kids at the beginning. We had a lot about our jobs and our situation that felt like this was something we could do for a while, help take care of this um, family. But we thought we sort of understood our role. We thought we understood the path toward reunification we already talked about, but we never could have articulated the exact path we ended up taking. Um, it didn't look at all like we expected. And sometimes, maybe that's really the definition of calling and obedience. Maybe sometimes it just looks like taking the next open path. Um, we're promised that that path will be narrow. We are promised sometimes it might even look a bit impassable, um, but also very necessary. Our calling came at this intersection of a like deep and obvious need and our ability, our availability and preparation. Even though we couldn't see what was ahead and we couldn't fully articulate what was coming. Um, and we actually have learned a lot through a similar story born out of desperation in the Bible. Um, the story of Nehemiah um, is one that I talk about almost any time I talk just because he's like family to us after this book was so closely intertwined with ours. Um, I should pause and say we don't necessarily believe, um, Ricky and I don't necessarily believe, that you should read the Bible in pursuit of where you fit in it. Um, we don't believe the Bible stories were given to us so that we could understand more about our story unless it's how we understand the character of God and what he um, asks from us in relationship with him. So I just want to give that preface. But for us, in a lot of ways, the story of Nehemiah did become intertwined with us. And this, this is one part of it. Nehemiah was called out of finding out of desperation, um, desperation for the people that he loved. Um, do you have anything on that? Just... So let's just do a quick confession. This is how I like to do notes. <laughs> this is how Ricky likes to do notes. But our printer broke after page three today. So now we're on Ricky's method. <laughs> he was right. This once, he was right. <laughs> By broke, I think it just needs a new cartridge. But that's why. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and that, but that really isn't, that's only one part of Nehemiah's story, is the desperation and the calling. Um, and at the beginning, he was super prepared. Like, he was in a good position to ask the king for help. Does everybody know the story of Nehemiah? Go back and read it later. Um, honestly, well, when this first came up, I didn't. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. all joking aside, we, I mean, we've both grown up in church our whole lives and hadn't really paid a lot of attention to all that God did in the story of Nehemiah and how he unfolded um, something seemingly impossible. I mean, in some places, ridiculous. Like it just, you, you read it and you go, uh, again, you know, like if, if we read thinking about the fact that Nehemiah didn't know what was coming next instead of being able to skip forward a few chapters and really see what happened, but he didn't know. And it sounds almost ridiculous that he would say to the king, Here's what I need. I mean, it's just not the kind of thing that happened in those days. Except, um, out of, except yeah. because he felt prepared, except because he prayed and he stepped out, um, not just in faith, but he stepped with God into a situation that didn't make sense. Um, and that's how we felt. I mean, we had friends of ours tell us, um, you know, what are you guys doing? Like loving, caring Christian friends. 
Um, this doesn't make sense. You know, there's people that can take care of these things, mm -hmm. the, the, these kids, not these things. The, there's people that, that, you know, can provide a place for children like this. There's people that can give help. Um, you don't have to be the ones doing this. And yet we, we felt like there was so much in, in what God was doing in our story that we, um, we were willing to step into the hard. We were willing to step uh, up to what God um, was going to do and see how it played out. Um, being able to also at the same time say, we really don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to trust. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there are, there are some tools um, in that that we're going to talk about a little bit next week about how you stay in the hard and what happens when the calling becomes something different than you anticipated, um, how you keep going. And some of those lessons will, again, come from Nehemiah. Um, but this morning, just in wrapping up, there's another part of Nehemiah's story that's just chapter 5. Um, so Nehemiah is doing this big thing, building a wall, um, 52 days, pulling the people together. Jerusalem has been in ruins for a long time. This is, I mean, there's a lot more to this story to unpack about the political turmoil, about um, the desperation of the people, about the way they were treating each other. Um, but the main point of the book, this part of the book, the beginning part of the book, is they're building a wall to provide protection and to renew um, a city and reunify its people. Um, but in chapter 5, in the middle of building a wall, fast, 52 days, um, Nehemiah and the people decide to stop, take a break, because the city was in economic crisis. And people were saying, we're mistreating our brothers. This, we aren't able to work together because of this crisis, because people are you know, selling each other out and not giving each other food, and this isn't the way it was supposed to work. And because Nehemiah was already in a position of leadership, because they were, people were already looking to him for help, he was able to help navigate a completely different situation, um, this economic crisis. And so for us, only a year after um, adopting our three kids, so we kind of had done our hard thing, like, check. Um, got seven kids we're taking care of for the foreseeable future. Um, we decided to go on an adventure because that's what sane people do. And we heard about this job opportunity to, for Ricky to go teach Bible in um, Tanzania, in East Africa, um, for three years. Again, seems like a grand adventure, which I love. Ricky does not, but it didn't become another impasse quite. Um, but it seemed like really just a way to level the playing field, provide shared experience for the nine of us. And a lot of it really was that. But what we couldn't foresee was that we would be living in East Africa during a worldwide pandemic. And that Ricky, having led a nonprofit organization, would be moved from Bible teacher to director of the school during that crisis. And was available because of his background, because of um, our yes to Tanzania, and beca also because of a lot of the hard things we've done with our kids um, to lead the school through that time. And so, like I said, we're going to talk about that a little more um, next week. Do you want to add anything on that? Part, just that? No, I think just, um, you know, tying it back to what we started with, that in so many ways um, we've, we've seen God work unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, you know, it, we've, we've joked now, um, we're not going to say we won't ever do something again <laughs> because that list has been crossed off. Um, we'll never do this. This is not part of our vocabulary. We'll never put um, ne anything on our never list. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we can do that. 
Um, but through that, we've just seen God working in so many incredible ways. And uh, we hope that as we continue to share next week, um, that, that that becomes even more apparent of what God's been doing. Um, we know that caregiving, whatever that looks like for you, whether that's taking care of your grown children who maybe even aren't walking with the Lord anymore, whether that is a neighbor um, who needs extra support, whether that's a ministry you're involved in, whether that's caring for a spouse, whether that's caring for aged parents, all of us find ourselves in caregiving roles. And most of the caregiving roles that we find ourselves in aren't just for a short period of time. They become part of our whole lives. And because of that, they cross over all kinds of different seasons, right? You, have, you may have the, the caregiving crosses into the seasons of strong faith and also doubt. It crosses into the seasons of provision and also the seasons that feel lacking. It crosses it from the seasons of confidence and certainty on the next steps and also the seasons of I have no idea what to do next. Um, and so one of the things that we want to leave you with because of crossing through all those seasons is um, Nehemiah's prayer. It's in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. And as you're thinking through, as you're listening to the prayer, think about um, how this mirrors the Lord's prayer. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, naming who God is, praising him, who keeps his covenants of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. Confession. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We have not opened the commands, decrees, and laws. We have not obeyed, sorry. The commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are faithful, I will scatter you among the... If you are unfaithful... See, I should have had paper. I, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as my dwelling, as a dwelling for my name, remembering the promises, claiming God's truths. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Request God, asking God to grant success and favor and his will to be done. They're all through the Bible, but especially in stories like Nehemiah. They're stories and reminders of, for us as caregivers of God's um, provision, of his faithfulness, and also of the really difficult struggles. And like we said, last, next week we want to talk about that. Talk about the seasons you find yourselves in and um, ways to pray through them. Anything else? No. Can I pray for us? Lord, we praise you as God of the universe. We praise you for your faithfulness. We praise you for your sovereignty. We praise you for the path that you have um, given us just even to this very day from 40 plus years ago to this moment of being able to be together again and share testimony and story. God, we ask that you use every bit of our stories to bring glory to your name, that true redemption will come in the form of others knowing you better um, because of the gifts that we're able to offer out of our story. 
we love you. We're so thankful for your son, Jesus. We're thankful for his full and complete redemption plan and the hope that we have in it. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.